What's up, Internet? It's Kyle. I'm Stu. And I'm Steph. And together, we are your control panel. And today's episode is all about non-player characters. So, non-player characters are a thing in play-by-email games, which they're just not normally in, like, one-day like games. Although that isn't always the case. I have played one, like, a game that had a non-player character. I guess it's more they're more involved. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, you can have more of them. I would say you don't have to have them, although for the purpose of this episode, you do. Um, <laughs> but, like, I guess... I think we should start with a very quick kind of pros and cons about whether you should have NPCs in your game or not. I, okay, I guess it's weird to me because we haven't really seen one that hasn't. I think, well, Seasons is is coming up and there are fewer NPCs, but at least in terms of play-by-email games, I have not seen one that hasn't have NPCs have a major role. So it's hard to imagine what that would be like. I mean, the more games I design, the less I have them. So we'll see. It would <laughs> yes. be a lot. But maybe we should talk about what role NPCs actually play in the games. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think before we get into what role they play in the games, I'll just mention like a kind of out-of-character role for them, which is most of your kind of control players are like going to be the more engaged people who are really interested in the form and are probably going to be experienced players from before. And one of the good things about the, uh, the NPCs is they kind of let the control players, for want of a better term, play. It's not quite the same, but I think that is one like very nice sort of thing in their favor and a role they fulfill purely outside of mechanical or thematic ones. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's nice to be involved in the game. Like I recently did game control for a one day mega game for the first time. And I felt like I knew a lot less of what was going on in that game. And I actually do think that part of that is just because as playing NPCs as control, you have to know what's going on in the game, at least as far as what would this NPC know and how would they interact with these characters and what kind of information would they give them. And you're often playing multiple NPCs, like I'd say something like seven to 12 or so, each control is playing that many. And so you have different perspectives too on the game and you're kind of forced to see what the game and the setting is like from these different perspectives and from different points of view. Yeah, but again, I want to backtrack to what the purpose of the NPC is from the player-facing side, because we've kind of jumped a little bit ahead and talked about the control point of view without laying that out. So an NPC, much like in a video game or a tabletop RPG, is a non-player character that your players can interact with. The NPC will typically have any number of functions. They can be givers of quests and information, They can be contacts who you ask to assist you on particular actions or to take particular roles. In the case of the PBEMs that we've run, they've been a little more involved in that there have been integrated hard and soft relationship mechanics. I talk about hard and soft relationship mechanics in terms of hard as in there is a strict mechanical measure of one's relationship with an NPC and soft as in there was no strict relationship meter, so to speak, but control definitely kept track of who had a better or worse 
relationship with a particular non-player character and kind of adjusted play accordingly. So you had some NPCs that you would befriend, but because you befriended a particular NPC, you might earn the ire of another NPC in what we felt was a more naturalistic style. When you make friends with some people, you're not as friendly with others. It's kind of just how it is. So yeah, the non-player characters were... There was an emphasis not only on having them be people you can interact with or like givers of quests and information and such but also that they'd feel more organic more like realized people and i think that's one of the advantages of the play by email and the mega game form as opposed to something like a video game or a tabletop rpg in a video game obviously your npcs are static they have to be your coding in that dialogue but in a play by email mega game each piece of dialogue each email is written by a human, in this case, control, in response to what is being sent to them. So you can naturally have a more organic flow of conversation. Similarly, because the play by email mega game takes place over a longer period of time, as opposed to like the short sessions of a one day mega game, or even a regular week by week, a TTRPG, there are less constraints on the form. So you have more time to really build and create that sort of organic relationship. I think actually the best parallel would be NPCs and LARPs. I guess it depends really on the LARP and the role of the NPC in them, but I think that they are closer to real characters while still having that they're serving a particular function for the DMs or whoever is the storytelling the LARP compared to like Kyle was saying in video games and TTRPGs and things like that, where they often just sort of, you know, you walk into a shop and someone's gotta be behind the counter and they might just exist for 30 seconds in that world. Well, this person's gonna exist probably for longer. Most of the NPCs that Control have in the game are existing for most of the game unless they are killed or other special circumstances exist. But for the most part, they're characters for just as long as players have characters. And so as Kyle was mentioning, there's a lot more chance to develop them and make them feel like real people than like a mouthpiece for control to just give quests or something like that. So speaking of giving quests and the kind of mechanical roles that the NPCs play, we're probably going to end with the episode about player characters before this one. So if you listen to that, you'll probably know I have those categories for player characters. I've got a few categories for NPCs, but way fewer, way less complicated. In fact, I've only really got three, and there are players who, sorry, NPCs who won't fit within those paradigms. So I think the first and the most important is what I call a signpost or helper NPC, because this is one of the great things um, about NPCs, I would say, is having an NPC who can just help players who are a bit lost, who they can come to, like, who should I talk to about this? Have you heard about this? Any information? What do I do? Someone who can, in character, help them, like, as the voice of control, as the instrument of control, is just quite useful, I think, to have. Although I think, I've learned from his experience, probably best to make it very clear this character like is neutral uh, and will help most or every player unless directly antagonized so players don't go around being suspicious of the character who's there like to help them they might still be suspicious some 
players can be deeply paranoid. And I say that from probably being the one labeled as the most paranoid. But yeah, I think it was really helpful in God's Wars to label Tiresias as the helper NPC. And it was especially useful because in character, they had a reason to answer people's questions about how the competition worked, which I feel like was just a little bit more complicated. Players had a lot of questions about that. And so it was nice to have someone to go to and ask those questions. And they weren't necessarily taking a side like the other gods in the competition were. I think most of the kind of signpost helper NPCs have actually ended up having a pretty important role to play just because players kind of by necessity talk to them a lot, which means they go through a lot and tend to develop like more than perhaps most other ones. Yeah, Tiresias got a lot of goodbyes and gifts at the end of the game, which was very sweet. And Archie, who was the the archivist who served this role in Afterlife, had a wonderful uh, couple of relationships, very, very rich, very exciting stuff. Yeah, and I think that's honestly, it's one of the perks of being a player, I think, is when you take that time to really get to know characters. I know that's one of the things I, on the player-facing side, have always enjoyed, is that deep interaction with NPCs. Obviously, it's not for everybody, and I think sometimes it's a difficult adjustment to make. I know we've had some players who have struggled with the format in the past because they don't treat NPCs as like organic parts of the world. Like they treat NPCs as, it's a nice way to say this, they treat NPCs, yes, and as plot devices, as instigators of plot, as opposed to being people, which I think that's my bias as a control. And I think is something that's a bias of the control who've done PBEM in the past. Obviously it might be different for different game runners moving forward. And I think is a testament to how much we put into the games because let's let's be real, you don't get the level of like interactivity and relationship building from an NPC between an MC and a player without significant effort from both sides. As control, you have to be very careful and considerate and thoughtful about the way you approach that, just to make sure that. That NPCs don't give too much, that things don't escalate too fast, that the nature of the relationship being built is something that is mutually acceptable to both sides. Because like it or not, Control are also players in the same way that a GM in a game is also a player. So there has to be mutual respect between the players and the Control. And you need to remember that behind the characters, there is a person. You can't, can't just like ask them to do whatever you want. And similarly, there are like built-in parameters. I know in God's Wars, there was a specific character who was a criminal type, who is like a, would you say a rebel against the government? Anarchist is, I think, what we An- labeled him thank as. Thank you. As an yeah. anarchist, but with his own moral compass. Unfortunately, there were a lot of player characters who chose to approach the character as just like a be all end all of criminal activity and would go to the character and be like, I want to do a crime. Can you help me? And this was, I think, something that was not really something that the control had wanted for their character and caused, I think, a lot of like in-character abrasion between player character and the non-player character. And people got this impression of like, oh, he's so difficult when it was really just if I as a human being was approached every couple of days by somebody who was like, can you help me commit a crime? You would also be angry, but because they'd come into that mindset of this is the NPC that does crime. 
they they'd taken that approach and it just didn't work it wasn't just that this npc didn't want people committing crimes with him it was also that like he didn't know any of them and so if the first words that you say to someone you've never met even if they are a criminal are like hey you want to do crime together i mean what reason do you have to trust them are they just an undercover cop i mean undercover cops probably wouldn't be that that bad at interacting but you know it was kind of a matter of hey yeah we can build this relationship and then perhaps we'll commit crimes together but it was very much an example right. of we're just going to use you as a function and literally as using you, right? It doesn't feel good as a person to be used. And similarly, it doesn't feel good to control when it's it feels like their NPCs are being used and, and treated not really as people or, or having these relationships or feelings like people do. Stu, you want to say something? Don't commit crimes on a first date. That is a third or fourth <laughs> Third or fourth day activity, take it from me. Yeah, okay. that's, that's right. So the next role I have on my uh, list is probably the most fun of the three kind of NPC roles I made, I made up, which is a problem. And I like the phrasing problem because they're not necessarily antagonists or villains, even though antagonists and villains definitely come under this heading. These are NPCs who, like, rather than helping with a quest, they are the quest in some way. And I think the more in, the more interesting ones are the ones who aren't just villains antagonists. So in Dusk City, I can think of a couple of NPCs who were threatening the kind of secrecy that was important to make sure the world didn't discover vampires were there. They weren't, you know, trying to be a problem. They weren't evil. They weren't cruel. But they were doing things that were going to potentially risk exposing vampires, which you know they had to be discouraged from doing. So they were a problem to be solved. But again, this also does include actual villains who are doing awful things. I, I think there's a very specific problem character I can think of if you're talking about Death City. Very specific problem. I can think of one or two, actually. Oh, no, I'm thinking specifically of Fennec. That's what oh. I was thinking of, too. No, we'll, we'll come back to him again. We've talked to him on previous episodes. I was thinking of Dead Gorgeous. Fennec was a problem, come on. Oh, yeah, oh. that was interesting because... I remember when we were investigating, she she was posting on Twitter. Yeah, she had a Twitter account. She was posting about the Shroud and my private investigator character was kind of like, ooh, maybe she's one of the bad guys trying to expose vampires to the world. And nope, it just turned out that she wanted publicity, basically. So that was that was interesting. And the next uh, sort of thing on my list are service NPCs. So these are people who perform a service. So you might be someone who makes things, a crafter, a blacksmith. You might be someone who sells information, a spy or a detective for hire, a mercenary, a Pinkerton. And I think these are quite useful for when players sort of want to do something that they are perhaps not equipped for or need to or want to get a piece of equipment. It's quite nice to have an NPC who can kind of facilitate that for them, help them do things or get things they wouldn't necessarily be able to get otherwise. Probably the least exciting of the categories, but sometimes necessary. I think they can be fun though. Like I know we talked previously on here about the speaker from Afterlife, the speaker of truth, who basically her function was go talk to her and she'll tell you about the your past lives, the worst thing you've done in your past lives. And so that was interesting for that. And I think Maybe it's because she was a service NPC that it was especially interesting to see that, you know, she ended up having this really rich and interesting relationship 
you know, with another character who wasn't just coming to her for that service. This is interesting. And I think we'll come back to that example later. Afterlife, I think, was before I had these kind of roles clearly defined, apart from the signpost NPC. And a lot of the uh, NPCs in that were a bit difficult or messy in ways I'll explain later. And she sort of was a service NPC, but not really because the concept hadn't been properly kind of, in my opinion, or at least by me, I hadn't fully developed it at that point in time. So I guess, well, I'll, I'll go into it essentially. So I think you need NPCs who serve a purpose in the world and are something that you love. So previous games had examples of really fun characters like the speaker who were quite interesting and beloved, but maybe they didn't actually have that much to offer or there wasn't a strong reason to talk to them. The speaker could help you learn about your past, but that was kind of it. And if you weren't interested in that, why would you ever speak to the speaker? But they're actually really interesting and memorable and fun. So that was kind of a shame and perhaps in hindsight, bad design with regards to that particular NPC. Whereas I won't name any examples for this one. There have been NPCs who were service NPCs and they were exactly the kind of weak NPC we talked about earlier, the kind of like you go to the bar, there needs to be someone behind the bar where there wasn't a strong sense of character outside the role. And what we're hopefully in games at the moment that we're working on trying to move away from are both of these problems. We're hopefully having NPCs who are really interesting, who the controller playing and really enjoys and loves to write and serve a purpose. So we don't have any that are, you know, weak thematically or weak kind of in terms of function. And I think it's important to consider that in design too. Like you don't want your NPC to have such a strong function that they don't have a personality, right? Like give them a personality, make them interesting, give them some kind of thematic something that makes it one fun for you to play them as control, but also just gives them a personality and makes them feel like a person other than just, ah, here's a function that this NPC has. So like thinking about Tiresias again from God's Wars, you know, he was the signpost helper NPC. And I think it's particularly hard to give those personalities because you don't want them to have such a strong personality that people do then find them suspicious and, and don't find them neutral. But they had basically, they really liked collecting objects with stories. And so people would bring them various things sort of throughout the game and they would display them on their shelves and tell stories of these objects to other people. And that was something sort of interesting and, and fun for me to do with them that gave them some personality beyond just like, yep, they're just, they're here for you and they'll answer your questions and that's it. I like it when NPCs have little quirks. I, I think it's important for NPCs and PCs both, but we've talked about PCs in another episode, but it's important to have those identifying quirks, not just for the sake of the players, but also kind of for the sake of control. We're in these shoes for eight weeks. It's a lot. It's a lot to do for eight weeks. And I'm not going to lie, there is favoritism at times, like because you're writing so many characters, you will prefer writing out the messages of some as opposed to others. Like, I, I, I know I certainly had favorites every time I ran a game. With Dusty in particular, there were things like, you could feel how much I liked being some NPCs as opposed to others. Because also there's particular email chains, because sometimes you're, like, involved in something really interesting. And then sometimes it's just, like, a clerical, please provide me with the information of XYZ. And I'm like, well, I guess. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's inevitable for us to care about some more than others because 
there are some that are more similar to us or things like that. Like, not that we create characters we don't like, but characters are going to serve a variety of functions and we might be creating characters that we just, we don't, I don't know. We just don't, it's hard to explain. It's just like some of them, I don't know. We have preferences. We like some better than others. I was going to say also, it does help that some characters become more popular than others. Like they become breakout hits. I'll tell Stu to talk mm. about Fennec, but I'm thinking of, I uh, trigger warning for cannibalism, but I created a character who was supposed to be a one-off starter villain. He ended up getting, I, I ended up making it as like a joke, asking that he be resurrected in a form by the resident necromancer character he became very strangely one of my and the player base's favorite characters because he's just so weird he's just so weird he's like he's like yes i'm a cannibal and everyone's like yes you are a cannibal but i want to keep talking to you and i'm like he was really funny (laughs) see actual cannibal stefan i don't know what to say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and because people could tell I enjoy playing him and I think that's why people enjoyed interacting with him because he's just silly and he had plot purposes like he was insight into the main plot like the villain's plot because he used to be a villain but people didn't some people went to him for that and so people went just to talk to him and I'm like okay that's Right, because it kind of ties back to the point I made earlier about why I think you should love your NPCs as much as possible and give them a purpose. But it also kind of keys into the next point, which is with NPCs, you can feel free to make them be more than one thing. So I've got my categories. You can have a problem NPC who also provides a service. I don't want to talk about Fennec too much this episode. We talked about him before. But Fennec is one of those characters who was designed to, to be multiple things. He straddled different categories. He wasn't just one thing. I probably wouldn't recommend your signpost NPC be loads of different things. I think they need to be a little bit more kind of separate and special. But don't be afraid to have like your crafter also have a plot line that's about them. Don't be afraid to have them be a problem in some regard, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's one thing that I really liked about Dusk City in particular was that because of the mechanic related to bonding NPCs, every NPC had this personal quest. And it was really neat that like every NPC had this personal plot, you know, maybe they were involved in some larger plots, but they also had something that was just special to them that they wanted accomplished for whatever reason. And I tried to model off that a little bit in God's Wars as well. But I think you can have plots that are character driven and they're really interesting and fun and especially when you really bond with an npc and then they're in trouble and then they need help you know it's it's very real to have that kind of relationship with someone i think i can think of a time in dusk city when players cared far more about the conflict of a relatively minor npc than the entire main plot is this eli and mark it is but there are other examples from that game but it is eli and mark yeah that's true Mm-hmm. And NPCs should be tied into plots. I think Stu has talked about this before, but you don't want orphan NPCs that are unrelated to anything. They need to be associated with stuff. I know with Destiny, I insisted heavily characters need to be associated with stuff or we're getting rid of them. They got, they got to be intertwined. Another thing I would recommend, a little bit of a non-secateur, is if you're making a lot of non-player characters, 
make life easier for yourself and create a template of important information. Uh, we went a little bit overboard on the template for Dust City, but I think if you're making a lot of NPCs, it's crucial to have something with their like name, affiliations, personality, if you think it's necessary, their history, and like the goals that they're trying to achieve, possibly their likes and dislikes. This is something obviously that will change over time because characters are organic, they grow, they change, but it's a really good baseline, especially if you are asking people to play characters that they didn't design, because sometimes this is a thing that happens. Sometimes you create a character and you ask another control to take that character over. In particular, if you are a game runner, you will have to give up your darlings. It happens. So sad. Make peace with it. But that's why it's important to have like this template that's filled out so that people have a baseline from which to form their portrayal. Another thing I stole from your template, Kyle, when I worked on my NPCs and God's Wars is their communication style as well, because mm -hmm. I think it's really nice to have your NPCs be really differentiated, like have different voices for them, make it clear that it's not like, oh, it's another one of Steph's NPCs, right? It's like, oh, this is Ambrose and that's Caitlin and that's Harry, right? So they sound different and they, some of them can prefer written communication versus meeting a person. Some of them can have specific quirks or sort of vocal patterns. I had an NPC who basically just had terms of endearment related to like desserts and flowers and that's what he called everyone so there's a lot of different things that you can do with that to kind of help differentiate when you are being different npcs and also for other people to get the sense that like oh these are in fact very different people we've also had like visual ways of doing that so in dusk city several characters like their emails were done using a personal letterhead for example and Probably the most exciting or extreme example of this was one of my NPCs in Afterlife, a character called the Eremite, who communicated through this bizarre word cloud graffiti. I didn't write messages. You got this messy word cloud full of different words to decode. It was very difficult and frustrating, but also very fun to write and at least for some players to receive. I found it delightful. I mean, you replied in kind, the only person to do so. <laughs> That is true. For me, as a tip, if you're going to do that, this is time intensive. Like, it's really cool when you pull it off, but don't just do these things for the sake of doing them unless you can balance it out, like in terms of workload, because at some point you might receive a large volume of emails. So that's something to take into consideration when you think about like uh, the way you're portraying your characters, the length of your responses, I'm sorry, this is the boring clerical stuff, but it's true. You have to be very deliberate in this or you will swamp and burn yourself out. That's a really excellent point. Yeah, it is. But some things are easy though, when you have like a different font, you can, yeah. so, well, this is a little bit too technical for this podcast probably, but you can kind of get email forwarding set up so that it automatically when someone is emailing a specific character of yours, we'll have it reply back in a particular font. Like I did that with Aphrodite and she had an email signature that was different and you know, a, a fluffy, not fluffy, but a swirly pink font that she always had. And I didn't have to do anything. I just had to reply as Aphrodite and it would already be set up for me. So use those little hacks when you can, because it doesn't sound like 
it takes that much time to do. But when you've got, you know, 10 different NPCs and hundreds of emails, it's really nice to have those little shortcuts. I think also a really boring, but essential and practical way to make sure you don't have too many NPCs is when you're in those initial game design stages, actually set a maximum and possibly a minimum number of NPCs for yourself to run and make sure you don't overburden yourself before the game starts. A lesson we have learned the hard way. Yeah. yeah. And I think in addition to just number, think about the role that they're playing too. You know, if all of your NPCs are involved in extremely major plots, then those are going to take a lot more work. You can't always guess what NPCs are going to be really popular in advance, but you can tell sort of, hey, this one's involved in some major stuff. People are going to have to contact them versus, you know, well, this one's involved in a minor plot, not to say that NPC isn't important, they could end up being a favorite, but they may get less traffic than others. So try to space them out a little bit like that as well. Another facet of the NPCs or design we haven't talked about is they're really useful, I think, as a world building tool. So for example, if you have factions or social classes as a thing you want to look at in your game for players to be part of or get part of, or just to sort of witness having NPCs that kind of represent them as almost essential. And if you have more than one NPC in that faction, in that class, etc., you can use them to kind of highlight the nuances of that organization, the different kind of facets, if you like, of these different things. Oh, this is something I meant to bring up earlier, but I, I don't think I did, is NPCs also can know one another. I think Kyle mentioned this a little bit, just that, hey, if you like one NPC, they might talk to others and things like that. But you can have your NPCs have history with one another, right? It makes sense or it might make sense depending on your world for that to happen. Some NPCs can be set up kind of as friends in advance, as enemies, as lovers, as former lovers. And it's even if this isn't relevant in the context of the game, like their, their personal history, it can really help sort of shape the way that you interact with other players when other players are kind of talking about certain NPCs, or even if, you know, they, they ask you about one or something like that. It's just another way, I think, to give kind of richness and detail both to your NPCs to make them seem like real people and your world to, again, make it just seem more real and rich. I'm trying to think about any other kind of important roles that NPCs may hold. And then maybe there's some specific to your game. So I'm tempted to go on a little digression about probably the best or the most thoughtfully designed NPC I had, which was one from Afterlife called the Margrave. And I don't want to go into too much detail here, but Afterlife had, as part of the storyline, an election which players could opt into. No one was forced to run, although some were strongly encouraged. They could choose to. But the thought occurred during design, what if no one wants to run? Like, who wins then? So there had to be an NPC who was running. And from there, I kind of, this character kind of grew, who served several purposes. So, for example, one of the player characters was kind of meant to be an eminence greaser, power behind the throne. That was their whole shtick. But, of course, that role might falter if player characters aren't interested. So here was an NPC who was quite manipulated, but you could really manipulate them if you knew how, and they had a very, very strong personality. They were this very sort of grim, dour, serious person. And even their personality, I considered 
to a great degree. If they were this lovely, heroic, wonderful guy, then everyone would back them. They would win. There'd be no point running against them. If they were this cartoonish villain, then there'd be no reason to join them. They'd be like just this bad guy to be defeated. So they were this prickly kind of not super likable, but once you actually listen to them and got to know them, they had a lot of quite good points, even if they were often pretty harsh and pretty mean. It was, they were, I had a great time with this character, like the design of them, running them throughout the game, control was sort of fighting over who would get to play them, um, which has not really happened very often. and probably shouldn't be allowed to happen. But yeah, it was a really fun character that really did come about because of looking at kind of what this NPC had to be within this world. There had to be an NPC option and they couldn't be too nice. They couldn't be too nasty. And the last function the Margrave served, because they served a lot of functions, was in Afterlife, we'll talk about this more in the episode, we had what I called crises, these big things that if players ignored would keep snowballing in the background. And I didn't want that to ruin the game. I didn't want the like an ignored crisis to completely take over the game and ruin everyone's enjoyment. So if players ignored a plot line, they ignored a problem, the Margrave would solve it. And the Margrave would do an okay job. He probably wouldn't find the best, most peaceful, perfect solution. He wouldn't find the worst solution. He would do a fine job and, hey, if he solved that problem, that's going to get him more votes. He's going to get a lot of praise for it. In practice, I didn't actually have to use this function very often, if at all, but it was a kind of thing that I built into the design and was also there to show that, like, he is actually a candidate at this election if you're running against him. He's not just, like, a straw man to be defeated. I wish he'd he'd solve the economy problem and that nobody had tried to solve it. He actually ended up hosting a summit with the two other candidates at that time to solve it together. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, it was a really fun, really fun thread where me and Mickey were kind of both writing the Margrave, inviting these two people into his office. And they kind of realised perhaps at that point that he was quite reasonable in his own way. He was reasonable enough that he got three people to back him and was neck and neck in the votes. Yeah, I mean... That was a very stressful time because, unfortunately, he kind of entrenched himself with people in a certain way. And I was like, your problem is you have very bad PR. You're a bad PR man. Like, as a player character, I was looking at this, like, he has sensible points, but my god, he needs someone to tell him not to say this kind of crap in public. PR guy. Yes! Yeah, I tried to like him, but <laughs> it just didn't happen. So, thank you very much for... I was gonna say watching. Thank you very much for listening to Control Panel. We have been your hosts. Have a good day. I love Michael. Hopefully we can fix that in editing. <laughs>